Hey guys, it's Kendra. And this is Jessica. And you're listening to Lucid Lab. So I realized something about myself today. What's that? When I start to clean, I'm chaotic about it. Like you don't have a structure? Like you see one thing and start cleaning it and then you see another? Exactly. So I will start something in one room Mm -hmm. and I have to take something to another room. And once I'm in the other room, I start something in that room and I'm just back and forth. Like it all gets done. But maybe eventually, (laughs) but I had probably about 20 moments when I went back to the room, like, I don't know, 10, 20 minutes later that I was originally in. And I was like, oh, yeah, I was doing that. (laughs) And then you pick it back up. I was doing that. Yeah. Wow. I am all over the place. This is crazy. So you're never going to have a career in cleaning houses. Actually, I did clean houses when I moved here. Oh, did you? When I was 18, I was a little entrepreneur. I cleaned houses. I did organizing. I was an assistant. I was this little... Do it all. I don't even know how I got this job, but I was a cocktail waitress. I wore like a corset at 18. I should not have had that job. That's probably why that place is closed now. (laughs) Well, unfortunately, that's who they want to (laughs) hire are the cute 18-year-olds. It's just funny because when you're coming here, I want it to be, you know, at least put together. And this is why, like, this is my first real place of my own. Right. And it calms my nerves to have a clean place. But Monday through Friday is chaos. Chaos. (laughs) (laughs) You're raising kids. Like, my house is never clean when my kids were young. It's just impossible to keep up with that and not, like, run yourself ragged. And you're a single mom. And I was, too, because when I got divorced, my kids were 8 and 12. And it's like, there's just no way. You can keep up with it all, especially not being a working mom. (laughs) And yeah, your place always looks nice when I come over. But I know you're probably frantically running around. I mean, it's not like it's ever like super crazy because it's a lot bigger for the two of us compared to I mean, we had a house before that was much bigger, but there was also someone else there that claimed to have had no part in the mess, which is silly. Now you know the truth. (laughs) (laughs) But at the same time, I'm thankful that we started recording more on Sundays. Because before we were Fridays and we would finish work or whatever and then you'd be immediately coming and I'm like, it's too much. But now what I love about it is now Sundays, at least the last few times, I'm waking up. I'm like, all right, I'm going to shower and then I'm going to clean a little bit. And it kind of forces me to end my week to start the week calming fresh by cleaning up a little bit before you come. So anyway, I like it. But I realize that I'm entirely chaotic about (laughs) how I go about it. (laughs) It's really cold here. I think it's cold across the whole negative world right now. I guess not the whole world. The whole U.S. is like (laughs) in this Arctic freeze and your heater has been acting up. Oh, yeah. We tried it. I don't know. A few weeks ago it started and I was like, my heater doesn't work. Oh, well, I'll leave it off because I conserve energy anyway. <laughs> yeah, save money. But then negative temps were coming up and I'm like, crap, I need to figure this out. It's been a bit and I was getting ready to have to call somebody and I was like, I'm just going to try it. I'm just going to try it. And it worked. And your negative energy from the heater transferred to my house somehow. Oh, oh, you're blaming me. (laughs) No, it's not you. Uh, Last night around 7 p.m., we're like, it's cold in here. Why is it so cold? And we went downstairs and looked at our thermostat, and it was 60 degrees in the house. Um, And we usually keep it set around like 68, I think. mm -hmm. And we realized that our heater had gone out right before bed. We're calling people. We found one guy on Craigslist that told us some things to try. Oh, at least he told you things. And then he 
hurricane this morning and we got it fixed, but we had to sleep last night with it being about 57 degrees in our house, which is not so much fun. I mean, with so many blankets, I wouldn't mind that to be honest, but what you have to start to worry about with negative degrees outside is your pipes pipes freezing. Yep. So I actually had a really hard time sleeping last night because all my faucets were dripping and I was like, where's that coming from? (laughs) That didn't sound like a drop falling. That's something else. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. I woke up around 3 a.m. like startled because there was a sound. It was like a knocking sound and it freaked me out and the dog kind of grumbled and I was like, what was that? And then Drew jumps up. He's like, what was what? And it was our fire. We had our gas fireplace on to try and warm the house up and it makes these like poof noises. Totally got me out of my dream. I was in a, like a full on dream state and like <laughs> shot up because it sounded like somebody was like knocking something down in our downstairs area. But yeah, it's cold and Very we're cold. bundled up here. And I think everyone's going through the cold right now. Of course, we're recording a little bit ahead of time. So now when you're hearing this, it's probably fucking spring or something. No, it's not. <laughs> it's still January. We're in blizzard season for the next like three months. Yeah, this is the time when I have to really remind myself how amazing Colorado is the rest of the year because it gets brutally cold here. It does. For like, I don't know, probably six weeks out of Mm -hmm. the year. And it's going to be snowing the next couple days with the frigid temperatures. Yeah. Fun. And with the frigid temperatures, I'm also, you know, new year, new me bullshit, right? I'm back (laughs) on my bullshit trying to walk so many steps per day. I'm doing a dry January right now. And when it gets negative 10 outside, I can't like go for my normal walks. You can. You'll just have icicles coming out of your nose. (laughs) I'll have like ice crystals in my lungs. I I see people still out running. Oh, I know. I don't even know. I I don't know how they do it. I did walk the other day. (laughs) They're not. They're robots. I did it the other day and I had a full, like the only thing showing was my eyeballs. (laughs) like a full face mask anyways it was so cold yesterday and I took my kiddo with me and we went to the mall (laughs) oh Mm -hmm. so now I get to add to my resume I'm really really cool at 43 years old I am now a mall walker it's like the grandmas at Cherry Creek (laughs) they walk the mall (laughs) I wasn't at Cherry Creek I didn't see any other mall walkers but But I did end up spending money while I was there. Well, then it's bad for you. It is bad for you me. You can't do that. Because I had to get a boba tea because I was with my kid. And then we went in stores because all the sales are going on. I ended up buying things. <laughs> I have never had a boba tea. Oh, why? It's because I saw this really scary thing about this guy or a girl like being that, full of boba. Yeah, they had to have surgery because they were full of boba. And I'm like, I'm not putting that in my well, body. My body sucks. It's going to hold on to that. I bet that girl probably had like five boba teas in a day or something crazy. I know, but my body sucks. Like I just said. (laughs) It will be like, ooh, this is new. Hold it. (laughs) Never let it go. Don't digest. I always chew my boba up. I guess if you just swallow it, it could like do that. But I I like to chew it. Anybody who has boba, you're probably one or the other. I like to taste it because some of it's sweet. So I think as long as you chew it up, it's fine. But if you're just like chugging it and swallowing all those beads. Yeah. I could see how it could build up. It kind of reminds me of Orbeez. Yeah, they kind of are. But you have a nine-year-old and yep. it's all the rage. I don't even know what to say. That sounds like an old person saying all the rage, but whatever. <laughs> um, it's like the thing. She doesn't know wants. about it. What's funny is she has earrings from Claire's that are little boba tees and she doesn't know she what doesn't they are. Know. They just look cute. <laughs> I know Elizabeth's daughter loves boba, so uh, she'll be influenced at some point. Not unless we go do it together. And once she has one, she's going to beg you for one all the time. It's like our special thing whenever like my kids had a bad day, we go get boba tea Hmm. I mean I'll give it a try but it's also not like right here so I'd have to go find one 
But going back to our frigid weather, I bought a home stepper. Oh, so you're <laughs> doing <night. laughs> new, your new me stuff too. Well, my schedule's crazy. Yeah. I need something to do inside my house. Sure, I could go like run around like a crazy person in my living room for a second, but it's nice to know that maybe I could just stand in one spot and just go up and down. <laughs> yeah, it works. And you can do that while you're working. Yeah. I have a stand-up desk in the garage that I can bring into. Although it is hard to type, <laughs> probably going up and down. We'll see. I don't know. Maybe it'll be a new talent. Yeah, you'll figure <laughs> it out. And then they'll put me in a spaceship. Right. You'll be able to do things under pressure, like with <laughs> it moving around. And I don't think I could. I tried a treadmill desk one time because we had it when I used to go to the office. And you have to be pretty coordinated. <laughs> uh, yeah. To run. <laughs> and to like type at the same time. Like you're going back and forth. And Their brains must be great. Great. That's what I'm saying. It would probably build up a different part of your brain oh, yeah. if you're able to type and step at the same time. My reason for getting it, I was like, you know, what? I get ready in the morning. I'm usually yelling at my daughter to finish getting ready in the morning. I'll just do it in front of my mirror. Yeah, it's something you can just do here and there in between. You can just step on it for like five minutes. And before the end of the day, you'll have gotten like, I don't know, 45 minutes in. Yeah. You just squeeze it in between other things. That's the plan. Anyway, what are we talking about today? Hmm. All right. Well, I'm going to start with a little something. Okay. Every move you make and every action you take matters. And everything you don't do and every action you don't take matters just as much. Okay. I'm talking about the butterfly effect today. I don't know much about the butterfly effect except for the movie with Ashton yeah. Kutcher and Amy Smart from... Right. When was that? That it was, was like, like 20 years ago. It was like the early 2000s. Yeah. I actually really loved that movie. I liked it a lot. I remember watching it and it making me think. So Yeah. But I don't remember the real gist of it because I forget movies as soon as I watch them. (laughs) (laughs) I just know if I liked them or not, but I can't really usually remember the whole plot line. I tried to watch it again before this episode. I thought I owned it, but apparently I don't. Hmm. And you have to pay for it. And I'm like, "Eh, I've seen it a bunch. (laughs) I'm not going to pay for it. It's a bit dark at times, this movie, Mm -hmm. but it is an interesting take on a much older concept. Okay. It's the idea that anything, no matter how small or trivial, can affect something else in a huge way. Okay. I think it's an interesting topic. I'm excited to talk about it. And it's something on the lighter side for us because we have been doing a lot of true crime lately. Yes, I think we talked about that in our last episode. It seems like we keep gravitating back to true Mm -hmm. crime because we're in the busy time and that's the ones that we can pull together. We can pull it together quicker only Mm -hmm. because there's so much more written about it. And it's not like me going back to school and trying to learn like an entire new theory. Right. It's not as abstract. Like if we're doing some of these bigger metaphysical conversations, we need to understand or even when we did like Samhain and Mm -hmm. Krampus, there's so many sources with all these different ideas and you have to put together the episode in a different way than when we do true crime. So, yep, we do want to keep bringing these kinds of episodes to you and we will. They're on our calendars. (laughs) They are. (laughs) When it gets a little less hectic. But oh my God, I have one on there that I have had since the beginning. (laughs) And I'm not going to say what it is because she keeps saying, are you going to do this this week? Are you going to do this this week? And I'm like, no, because it's going to take me months to pull together all of the information I would need for that. And it's not true crime. But there's so much activity, so much on this particular topic that I have not had the time to go through it. 
So it's going to take a minute and I keep pushing it out. But <laughs> every single time I look into anybody else who has ever covered this, it's multiple episodes. So yeah. I want to do its due diligence. I don't want to just half-heartedly put something out there. And I think that's what we said last time is we put a lot of, you know, love and time into our research. And that's why. But I'm excited for this one. I know you spent time on this one, too, because it's more of an abstract idea. And yeah. we'll have lots of conversation, I'm sure. It will probably make me think differently about what I do every day. And I am excited to talk about this because I tested myself. And on my drive home from seeing my family not mm-hmm. too long ago, I listened to stories of this for the entire drive, like eight, nine hours. Wow. Okay. And I was never bored. <laughs> so yeah. I'm like, OK, let's do this. Because we're always looking for the meaning or cause for everything that happens. Yes, we are. You may have heard the saying that if a butterfly flaps its wings in India, it could cause a tornado in Iowa. There's multiple variations of this. Everybody says it differently. But really, it is suggesting that something as simple as the flapping of a butterfly's wings can alter the development or path of a tornado or hurricane, setting molecules of air into motion one way or another and delaying it, accelerating it, or even preventing this weather event from happening. Okay. The butterfly itself doesn't have the power to create a tornado or a hurricane, but even the smallest change in the condition of the system in this case, weather, Mm -hmm. can result in large-scale alterations of an event or events in the future. Makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. Right? But we weren't always there in our minds. No, never. (laughs) I might get a little too scientific for some of you in the beginning of this, but just hold on. Listen, we're going to have a fun discussion, I think. And sounds like some cool stories, maybe. As I said, the idea has been around for a very long time, but it was coined by Edward Lorenz in the 1960s. Lorenz was a meteorology professor at MIT, and he studied weather patterns. Okay. As we know, we can't really depend on anything the weatherman says. For the most part, it's in the ballpark, but you can't look too far out or you may end up with drastically different results. Right. Well, back then, they used to believe that we could predict future weather based on looking at historical records. Like the almanac. Yeah. Right? Finding times when conditions were similar and looking at what happens then. Lorenz thought that this was a stupid assumption Mm -hmm. and decided to create his own model to demonstrate that even if you have conditions that are pretty much the same, unless they are exactly the same, you can't make such predictions because the smallest difference between the two will cause the result to drift apart. Meaning later on, one area might be relatively calm while the other one is experiencing severe storms. Okay. He used a computer program to test these various weather simulations. Yes, it is the 60s and he was using a computer, but he was at MIT. So the computers were the size of an entire room back then. Right. I've seen pictures. (laughs) But he was one of the lucky ones to have one at his disposal. He ended up discovering this because he was being a bit lazy one day or didn't think this change would have the results that it did. Whatever he was doing with these calculations, he had started with the base condition calculation of 0.506127. He found that by rounding to 0.506, just this Uh 0.000127 difference dramatically changed weather predictions in his simulation. Okay, I could see that. Maybe. He actually did this by mistake. He took a tiny shortcut in his system to reproduce printouts he had and rounded off his full precision value. He started the computations and went to grab some coffee. He came back about an hour later and saw the results. 
At first, he thought it was a computer error, something that was physically wrong with the computer and thought about calling for service. It had calculated about two months of weather up to that point, so instead he wanted to do his due diligence and see if he could find where the new calculations diverged from the original results. He followed it day by day and noticed that after some time, the two started to differ and the difference would double every couple days until the result was completely different. Okay. And this difference was caused by the tiniest of changes. Mm -hmm. Therefore, long-range weather forecasting was impossible, and there was no way for us silly humans to accurately measure the complexity of nature. There are too many variables that can act as pivot points that can have big consequences. I mean, they can never get our forecast right in Colorado. No. They said it wasn't supposed to snow until Monday, and it snowed the last two days (laughs) at my house. So, And we're all just like 20 minutes apart. 20, 30 minutes apart. And it's always so different. Completely different. Yeah. The closer you are to the mountains. But even then, it might, it might do some bounce. Do nothing there. (laughs) It's always funny. What is the joke? It's like meteorology is like the job where you can be wrong every single day and still keep your job or something like that. We're going to talk about that (laughs) in a second, too. So even though what we're talking about right now is the fact that tiny changes can create big consequences. Lawrence was trying to say that we have no way of tracking these tiny variables. Okay. So we have no way to determine one weather pattern over another or any possible way to know exactly what caused it. Mm, Okay. Hence the example of the butterfly flapping its wings. Originally, the example was of seagulls. (laughs) I think I've heard of seagulls one too. But a butterfly is just more poetic. Even smaller. So it changed it. But how could we possibly know that one tiny thing halfway around the world could direct the weather to act a certain way weeks to months later? The point is, is we don't. We have no clue. We can't account for it. Yeah, exactly. And that's what he's saying. He's like, yes, a tiny little thing can create this, but we have no way of tracking that, which means we can't do shit. Right. (laughs) And there's so many tiny little things all over that could be doing it in different parts of the world. Like, I don't even know where you would begin. I know. Also, not to mention that humans are doing stuff every single day to disrupt every bit of this planet. Billions of us. Yeah, we've completely thrown off the ecosystem. Yeah, we're all responsible in some way to how things turn out every hour. Really? Mm. So how can we ever put that into a calculation? It's stupid. Yeah. It sounds really fucking stupid we think we're so smart (laughs) and then you think about climate change I've gone through the ringer about thinking about climate change because I have grown up with people who are like no this is just a season of the planet that we're going through and I'm like but never has there been billions of us to our knowledge to our knowledge though because maybe there has been and we're just in our own cycle and that's and why they're gone now. <laughs> starts all over again because they <laughs> blew it up already. Well, I was just reading an article yesterday, completely off topic here, but that's what I do, that there are microplastics in every single protein source in the world. I believe it. Because the invention of plastic alone has changed so much in our world now because plastic is something that we don't know how to get rid of. Yep. And even if we throw it away, even if we recycle it, it's like in every particle. It's in our water. Now it's in our meat that we're eating. It's everywhere. It's pretty crazy. And they don't know what effect that has when we have the amount of microplastics 
microplastics in our bodies. To me, it's probably like why we have a high rise in cancers. And maybe the point of humanity in all of these different cycles of us getting to billions of people on the planet is will they always create plastic? (laughs) How can we stop this from happening? (laughs) Because it's ruining everything. And I'm sure, I mean, all of our animals are inhaling it now and eating it. That's why it's in our protein sources. And then we eat it again. Yes. And And then we eat it again and then we drink it. It's completely toxic. And it's, you can't get away from it. All of our packaging is plastic. Everything. Everything is plastic. And then when I read those articles, I get really depressed. And then... It's really funny. You really can't call a girl who's had surgery on her face or anything plastic because you are too, bitch. We are all <laughs> fucking plastic. It's just floating around our bodies. Your nose is plastic, but yep. it's not had a nose job. <laughs> no, it's very obvious. I have not had a nose job. <laughs> <laughs> me either. I've had nothing done. Had nothing done. No Botox for me. It's I'm scared. We're not rich enough. Even if I had money, I think I'm too afraid of needles, number one. And then it's fucking botulism going into your face. And I know I have lots of friends who get Botox and it oh, looks amazing. Yeah, Botox. I'm just afraid of it because it is a toxin you are putting in your body willingly. Yeah. And I already have enough toxins going in my body just living. It's rough. So it's rough. I'm afraid of it. I actually used to work for this guy and I would have to go to lunch with him because I was his assistant. Right. And I would have to go sit there at lunch while he had Botox treatments done in his forehead. Like right in front of you? Yeah. He's like getting shots. <laughs> and I was like, uh, this is weird. You're cool. <laughs> As I'm watching him like bleed and he's like talking. I was like, uh, okay. That and the fillers. And I mean, there's so many things you can do and people look great getting it done, but I'm just going to but become a hack. Really? Exactly. I don't really understand. I mean, you do see some celebrities that look completely different after having it, but some of them have bad surgeons or they have an addiction and they don't know when to stop. Right. Or dysmorphia can cause that too. Right. And you just keep going and you keep going and you keep going. I'm totally okay with my face. Sometimes I don't like when it looks extra chunky, but that's a workout. That's what that is. That has nothing to do with anything else. I don't love that I have more wrinkles now and that I'm starting to get the little 11s that give me rusting bitch face. But it's also (gasps) like to me. Mine's in the middle. Yeah. And one right line here. in the middle. They're called the 11s. That's what most people get Botox for. It's because I'm stressed out. I go to bed with that. I think I do it up. while I sleep <laughs> and I clench my teeth. So I'm going to have the smile lines. But at the end of the day, I saw something on, I don't know, some social media and they're like, it's a privilege to age. A lot of people it don't is. get to age. It's true. And why should we try and act like we're still 25? I don't want to be 25 again. I like no, myself I better and what I've learned at my age. So brain wise, happy physical not happy but that's something you can change and you can change it relatively quickly yeah I can change and that's what I'm doing right now I want to be in better health shape I want to fit into clothes that I don't fit into anymore like that's something that I can do but I'm not going to be able to change wrinkles on my face because that's just life as Mm -hmm. we age we're all going to age it's true and fighting it is a losing cause it is and I'm in that place where I just worry about what my actual internal shit Right. Is right now. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to do is be healthy. It's not only about looking good in clothes, although that's a huge motivator. It's also, but I want to be healthy. Then you'll get to that point anyway. And I want to be able to move when I'm in my <laughs> 70s exactly. because that's what they say. You know, I'm trying to make sure my flexibility and all of that. So there's more to it than just vanity, but vanity is probably the main motivator. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, we're way off. I don't even what? know where the fuck we are. We're know. on weather and now we're talking about... It's a fun episode. We're allowed to have tangents in this one. So deal with it. 
(laughs) You get to learn about us that way. So back to Lorenz. He discovered this on his computer. He wrote a paper on this in 1963 titled Deterministic Non-Periodic Flow and initially introduced the idea as sensitive dependence on initial conditions. That's not as cool as butterfly effect. It's a law now. He later coined the term the butterfly effect. Much more marketable. He did this during speeches about the topic. At first, it was not well received. He presented this to the New York Academy of Science that same year, and he was actually laughed out of the conference. Those pompous scientists. (laughs) They all thought it was ridiculous, but it was fascinating and grabbed the attention of many in the years to come. At first, outside of the context of weather, it was a concept loved by writers. It was a great sci-fi-ish like theory that was used in comic books and movies. Yeah. For the academic types, it challenged other popular accepted laws, such as Sir Isaac Newton's clockwork universe and Pierre Simone Laplace's argument that unpredictability has no place in the universe. He Mm. asserted that if we all knew all of the physical laws of nature, then nothing would be uncertain, and the future as the past would be present to our eyes. That sounds really boring. It's this deterministic interpretation of the universe that doesn't account for the imprecision of human measurement of physical phenomena. We use the butterfly effect for everything today. We use it as a basis of how to live, Mm -hmm. even without knowing it. And we will go into that more here soon. The idea is fascinating and scary and certainly makes you more aware in the present and a bit more critical of everything you do in life. But in terms of weather, Lorenz's findings with this parallel meteorological simulations are still used today to generate our daily weather forecasts. Okay. Don't ask me exactly how I'm not a meteorologist. But I think about it, and it was definitely an interest of mine growing up. Mm -hmm. Even as a kiddo, I was absolutely fascinated with clouds and all the power that different types of clouds represent. And if you've listened for a while, we all know about my cloud obsession. But I still don't know enough to have like an intelligent conversation about clouds. What it means, yeah. (laughs) I'm just in it for the beauty. Right. That's more fun. Who wants to go into all the scientific? Then it's not as like artistic. (laughs) I know. know. I just remember like sitting at home and I'm like, look at that cloud. Wow, that has a purpose. (laughs) The whole water cycle and all of that that we learned back in junior high. It was fun. I love the sky. In mathematics, Lorenz's insights laid the foundation for a branch of mathematics known as chaos theory. I've heard of that. I feel like most of us have at least heard the term chaos theory. And it's how you clean your house. (laughs) That is how I clean my house now. It's chaotic, but it gets done. (laughs) But if you don't know what it is, the wording can be a little misleading. Mm -hmm. We aren't going to go into chaos theory heavily here, but the two are connected. So I'm going to give a quick overview. Okay. And it might be a better answer to why those weathermen sometimes mess up the next day's weather for us too. Sometimes? You mean always? (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be a blizzard. Just kidding. Here's your dusting of snow and 40 degrees. And then other times they're like, just a half an inch and we've got like 12 inches. (laughs) Or they prepare us for freezing rain and it's like 70 degrees outside. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Colorado must be a hard place. I think it's the mountains like mess it all up. I saw a TikTok yesterday of these three women. I think they were coming from L.A. Oh. Like, no one told us about this weather. They had no jackets. It was really funny. And it was negative something, yeah. I'm sure. It's like negative six And yesterday. they were waiting for probably the rental car shuttle because that's outside and yeah. it's cold and it takes a while at Denver Airport. I mean, when it's that cold, you just kind of go numb anyway. You can't feel it really. Until you're like 
fingers start falling off. Right. <laughs> That's what I think is so funny. When it's so cold outside, I'm actually okay. You just can't be in it too long. <laughs> to me, I was just saying this yesterday when I was walking. I'm like, if it's 20 or it's negative 10, it's just cold. Like, I can't tell that much difference between it. I think when it's super cold negative, I don't feel it right away because it's such a shock to your system. Your body's like that in I'm shock. That I'm just like, oh, I'm just going to walk out in this cool but what I realized is yesterday because it was like negative 10 when I went out to my car I felt totally fine outside everything was great I came inside though and I was like oh my toes have to unthaw for like two hours now yeah. and I didn't feel that while I was out there it's dangerous you can get frostbite really quickly yeah yes whoops I also feel like I can't breathe as easily when it's negative outside it's like ice crystals start forming in your nose I mean, I didn't try really walking anywhere. <laughs> yeah, that's why I was mall walking. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I think about like 15, 20 years ago, we were way more critical of weathermen than we are today. Yeah. They really used to take the brunt of so much hate back Did then. They? <laughs> oh, I remember this. That's I funny. actually do remember this. Like, oh, what a, he doesn't know how to do his job. <laughs> Fire him. But now we've just like all accepted that they're never going to get it right. But it's not their fault. Like you just literally can't really determine it. And it's because of this. Like they do their best. To me. They're trying. Right. To me, what's most important for meteorologists is to give us warnings of really bad storms. Right. Like, and I think they get that right a lot of times. Like tornadoes, right. hurricanes, earthqu- earthquakes. I was at meteorology. Never mind. Don't listen to earthquakes me. Earthquakes are. Seismologists. Seismologists. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all scientists are the same, right? No. <laughs> I'm obviously not a science major. I'm a business girl. We were called the kindergarten of my college, my business school. Oh, I was like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Today, I really only ever look at like the next day's forecast or even that morning because I just need to know what I need to dress my kid in to take her to school. Yeah, that's important. That's really the only reason I look at the weather. (laughs) Or yeah, we want to know if it's going to rain. So we know if we need an umbrella. I want to know if it's going to snow so I can send appropriate things yeah it's really just about the temp and yeah other than that I don't expect anything to come out of when I'm looking at an app that says hey next week is going to be 80 it'll probably be 20 yeah because they don't know this far ahead no I mean they are trying but that Mm -hmm. changes all the time yeah that's why we have these things that happen and there's really no warning to how big it's going to get Mm-hmm. Anyway, this is because of chaos. Okay. This isn't chaos, like the name suggests, disorder and confusion. It's a property of highly complex systems, the atmosphere, living things, even our economy, all systems, even those that seem to conform quite nicely to these scientific laws that we're aware of, they all have chaotic features. Okay. Chaos theory is the idea of trying to predict behaviors of systems that are inherently unpredictable. Mm-hmm. Weathermen. Yes. <laughs> or therapists trying to predict <laughs> what a when person will do. They themselves are super fucked up. Exactly. <laughs> or I'm thinking even like law enforcement trying to predict what a serial killer is going to do next. Things like that are very unpredictable. It is. Like we tried to be like, well, that's not him. That doesn't match his last murder. <laughs> Well, maybe he's changing it up. He's changing it up. Maybe every single one is different. What if they're, yeah. We are creatures of habit, but we're also creatures of learning new things. Yes. And wanting to do things differently. And everything on this earth, including weather, has that same chaotic behavior. Yeah. Inherent need or whatever. So I brought up determinism before. 
Okay. Everything we know or has been accepted, thanks to Kepler, Galilei, Descartes, Newton, Laplace, and others that have used their concepts to prove deterministic nature of the universe. For example, John Adams and John Joseph Le Vecchier, who predicted Neptune in 1846 based on mathematical inference. That's crazy. It is. That they like predicted a planet. Sounds very stupid. Being there. Right. (laughs) Way above my brain power. Many technological advances came from this frame of thought. And the idea was that we just needed to create methods or equipment that were better at reducing uncertainty and that could measure initial conditions with increased accuracy. Okay. With determinism, for any given system, provided the same initial conditions, it will always produce the same outcome. Mm-hmm. That's a thought. Okay. But it's almost impossible to duplicate a set of initial conditions. Okay. I read about a game of billiards as an example of this and why it is pretty much impossible. When I came across this example, I'm like, ah. That clicks for you. Perfect. (laughs) Billiards is close to my heart. But think of a game of pool. The idea is that you can start with the initial conditions of the table, where all the balls are, quantify the speed and trajectory of the cue ball, and calculate with math alone what the table is going to look like after that shot. Okay. And then exactly duplicate that. You can't. If you've ever played pool, that sounds pretty stupid. Right. But in theory, you should be able to set it up exactly the same way and have the exact same outcome without exception. This is what determinism is. Okay. Yeah. Maybe a wizard can pull this off. Yeah. (laughs) But to have everything exactly the same, I say that that is impossible. There is always going to be a slight variation in how you set up the table. And you don't even know if the ball's on the same face because it's round. (laughs) How each ball is sitting. Yeah. How closely they touch the other balls, like when you're Mm -hmm. setting it up. Right. It's always different every time you set it up. I find this to be a horrible slash great example because, well, it's horrible for proving determinism (laughs) right but it's great for discrediting it i think it'd be very easy to discredit this theory i know but this was the frame of thought for so long that's crazy because you just can't get everything perfect no i mean even the fact that the balls had gone over that table one time could change the felt on the table slightly there's literally so much that affects this right determinism suggests that this exact duplication of initial conditions and results applies to everything no way I can see it working for like one system, maybe a couple in, systems, but then otherwise you have to stretch your brain. Maybe in that. a maybe in a lab environment that is run by AI and is all computerized and it's a completely enclosed, right? Maybe, but not in the real world. Come on, I don't know. This is a hard one because in theory, sure, but that's not how life works, right? In theory, if you could set something up exactly the same and I mean out of this world AI AI could but even that I don't trust yeah that's what I'm saying sure in a world where it can be 100% exact maybe but we've never been able to test that because we can't do it no because something is always going to get in there so that in itself is an assumption I mean it can be a theory they can say that's a theory but you just just can't replicate it ever we can't ever ever (laughs) (laughs) think about it ever Ever. How? No. Anyway, when it came to proving this outside of our earthly bounds, specifically placements and behaviors of planets, we couldn't pull that off either. Mm-hmm. In 1885, King Oscar II of Sweden and Norway offered a prize to anyone 
who could prove the stability of our solar system. Okay. Several well-known mathematicians, including Laplace, tried but failed to definitively prove that the planets would stay where they were. Okay, yeah, we know this. In fact, a French mathematician, Henri Poincaré, I know that's wrong. I need to go back to French, concluded it was impossible to predict the future outcome of the solar system because the system itself, duh, was far too complex, mm-hmm. filled with way too many variables that could never be measured right, with really any precision, let alone absolute precision. And we still can't do that now. This no. was in the 1800s. Like I know. <laughs> Some of this is just like your brain goes womp. He found some imprecisions, such as rounding off the planet's mass, similar to what Lorenz did, and it resulted in enormous uncertainties. Mm-hmm. He won this competition, or whatever it was, and he was credited with discovering this, quote, chaos. Okay. But this discovery did nothing for almost 70 years until Lorenz said, hey guys, guess what? You're wrong when it comes to predicting weather patterns. <laughs> And this is why this guy made this chaos theory years ago, right? (laughs) And he pulled it out of his pocket. I'm sure it's like way before that. Yeah. That's just about someone of some notoriety that says, hey, I'm going to call this something. Pay attention. Mm -hmm. (laughs) In an article I read by William Harris about how chaos theory works, he said this. It seems like a strange juxtaposition today. In the 1960s, NASA was successfully launching astronauts into orbit while weather forecasters were struggling to make accurate predictions. They're not the same thing, dude. It made me laugh, though. Think about that. I have always talked about this. I don't trust bullshit when it comes to NASA. (laughs) If you have ever been to Kennedy Space Center and you look at the inside of these space rockets, Mm -hmm. what the fuck? How the hell did we put something like that together? Aliens. I don't even believe they're real. I don't even know. But I've seen them launch. I've watched them launch in Florida. That doesn't matter. And then all those people just die. (laughs) Where do they go? How do we know that they're actually on there? That is true. There's no way to know for sure that they're on there. They could be sitting in NASA headquarters in a little studio. We have no idea. I can speculate all day long. Yeah. I sent her a video the other day and I'm like, God, I hope that space is really what we've imagined it to be all these years, because if it's not, all my dreams are just crushed. (laughs) But I just keep coming across so much that I'm like, God, human beings are tricky, sneaky. And we don't know shit about shit. (laughs) I feel like every time, every day I wake up and I'm like, I know less than I did yesterday. Like there's just so many things we don't know. Yeah. And we can't trust Anyway, to his point is we can create this space rocket in the 60s, leave orbit, go land on something millions of miles away. But But we we can't can't predict weather, predict what's happening tomorrow on our own planet. Yeah. But it wasn't just Lorenz to have pushed this theory forward. Completely separate from Lorenz, there was a man named Robert May, and he was trying to use mathematics to predict animal populations. Okay. It worked really well at first, but he started to notice that small variations had astounding effects in the results. A friend of his mentioned Lorenz's work and then May determined that there was a point in which this chaos started. So he was actually the first to coin the term chaos. Yeah. And I can't remember exactly what his calculation was, but it had something to do with the number three. I didn't want to go into it too much because that's not what we're doing right now. (laughs) So now we are in the 1980s and 90s, and chaos is a pretty popular notion. It really was almost to the point of interest of like quantum mechanics. 
but it did die down over time. One example of this, it's actually used in Jurassic Park. Okay. Remember the scene where Jeff Goldblum is like doing this like water trick on Laura Dern's hands. I'm sorry. I don't know what their names are in the movie right now. Yeah. But he's like dropping a water Mm -hmm. droplet down her hand. And his whole thing is that it will never take the same path. Right. That's chaos theory. It's not going to take the same path. Chaos theory became popular in books and movies. And like I said, its hype did sort of diminish over time because really the idea of chaos theory is not new. Yeah. It's been around. It wasn't like this amazing discovery. Like, aha, that's it. (laughs) It was this progression of thinking. And it was a shift from Newtonian determinism to this non-linear unpredictability. Right. So while chaos theory and the butterfly effect aren't the same thing, it gives you a little insight into the backstory of how this all came to be known and why the butterfly effect has such a powerful place in the world today. Okay. So what are some big examples in history that we can look at? Yeah. One is presented by Andy Andrews. He wrote about the butterfly effect and he talks about a teacher who single-handedly made the United States the United States. Okay, how? I've never heard of him. Tell me more. (laughs) I may have been taught something about him, but I don't remember, which that's possible. I don't remember crap. I don't remember a lot of things and and I probably didn't learn about this. (laughs) They were too busy telling us how great America was and and Texas. I learned Texas history five times. Wow. Like not, not joking. They really wanted us to love Texas. Texas is the greatest. That's why if you meet Texans, a lot of them are very pro-Texas, I think, because I was they joking, teach us by that the way. so much. I love you, Texans. but We have a lot of Texas listeners. I know. So thank you. You're all people. Yeah. <laughs> you're I still human. love you. Just because you're in Texas doesn't mean. And I know sometimes I say bad things about Texas. I'm always just joking because it's where I'm from. <laughs> That's where she's from. Someday I want to go back to Odessa yeah. just there's because a, I was born there. I don't know about Odessa, but there's a lot of great parts of Texas. <laughs> I want to I know our house is still there yeah. that I grew up in for a little bit, so I'd I like f- to see it. I flew through Midland Odessa Airport, I don't know, probably about six months ago. Oh, really? <laughs> and there was nothing there. It was just all oil oh. fields. <laughs> <laughs> well, for the story, I'm going to add some additional details that I found, but it represents how one person has the power to change the future for millions of people, mm-hmm. possibly billions of people. Okay. Q, 34-year-old college professor Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain. Okay. He was born September 8th, 1828 in Brewer, Maine. He taught logic and natural theology, rhetoric and oratory, modern languages, amongst many other topics at Bowdoin College in Brunswick, Maine. Okay. He was passionate about the union and believed it needed to be supported. Writing Maine's governor, Israel Washburn Jr., he requested to join the fight against the Confederacy. Okay. He requested leave from his college to study, quote, languages for two years. And that's what he told his family as well. Oh, but what was he really doing? (laughs) As soon as his leave was granted, he enlisted. Oh. Immediately, he was offered a colonel position in Maine, but he declined it, wanting to start lower and learn. Instead, he was appointed lieutenant colonel for the 20th Maine. This was August 1862. And in June of 1863, he was promoted to colonel of the regiment. Okay. On July 2nd, 1863, it was the second day of the Battle of Gettysburg. Okay. He was standing at the end of the line among 80,000 men, stretching across fields and hills all the way to Gettysburg. At his position, he knew that they would have to stop the Confederate Army. If they didn't, then the Union Army would be quickly defeated. Mm -hmm. Earlier that day, he and his men built a rock wall. 
They used some of those rocks to push down a slope when the first charge was coming at them. They faced two more charges after that and fought them off until they retreated. On the fourth charge, Chamberlain was hit by a bullet, but it hit him dead center on his belt buckle. Oh, wow. Lucky. Saving his life. Each time they fought a charge, the rebels ended up retreating downhill. With this fourth charge, the Confederates almost made it to their wall. He recalled later feeling bad for his men because he was the one that was leading them and he was just a stubborn teacher. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I'm not some war No, he only spent a year, Yeah, but he made it up the ranks still. He was smart. And it was his stubbornness in the end that saved them. Okay. On the fifth charge, the rebels broke open the wall and now there was fighting on both sides. It became a true face-to-face fight with fists and knives. Horrible. Game of Thrones. (laughs) (laughs) But somehow they managed to push them downhill again. It was then that Chamberlain's brother, an officer for the 20th Maine, showed up with Sergeant Tozier, who himself had been shot in the shoulder. He reported that half the men were down along the entire stretch. Okay. What do we say? 80,000 men. It's a lot. It's a lot. Chamberlain had only 300 men when he started that day in his regiment. Damn. And they were down to 80. Ouch. Chamberlain questioned his brother on how they were doing on ammunition, but before Thomas had time to check... They had this 12-year-old boy who was acting as a lookout, and he was up in a tree, and he yelled down to say that the rebels were forming again, and Uh this time they had a lot more men with them. At the same time, a messenger arrived to tell Chamberlain that three other colonels were now gone. Oh, no. And just after that, Thomas came back to tell him that they were out of ammunition and that they only had one to two rounds per man left at most and some without any at all. Oh, my God. Chamberlain thought quickly and told them to round up ammunition from the dead and the wounded. But they had already done that once, and some questioned if they should just retreat. Mm -hmm. But he wasn't having that. He knew what that would mean. They would lose. Yeah. But they didn't have any time, and the charge was on its way. Chamberlain just stood there for a minute, staring at what was coming towards them, but soon turned to his men and told them to fix their bayonets and that they would be charging back an all-out charge. Without time to prepare, Chamberlain yelled for everyone to charge. Very scared, the remaining 80 men tumbled over the wall and screamed, charge, charge, oh my charge. God, these poor guys. I know. And they're probably kids, honestly. They're probably like I know. 15 to 18. Thank God we're not part of this right now. I know. We could be. It was a time. Yeah, it still is a time. Just not well, for yeah, us we have, Yeah, we have other things to deal with. This is when they should have died, a brave, noble fight, right? you would say. But instead, the Confederate army saw Chamberlain mount this wall, and then they all just stopped. They were confused. <laughs> they were fighting men behind a wall this entire time, and now they were coming towards them. Right then and there, many Confederate soldiers dropped their weapons and began to run in the opposite direction. Wow. They all thought that there was no way that these were the same soldiers that they had been fighting and that for such a bold move, they had to have now been heavily reinforced. Ah, so they bluffed (laughs) and it worked. (laughs) But they were the same guys. They had no reinforcement. And within five minutes of running toward the enemy, Chamberlain captured the captain. And in another five minutes, his 80 soldiers without any ammunition captured over 400 soldiers of the Confederate army. That's crazy, isn't it? Wow. 
I mean, they all laid down their weapons. Yeah, so it's easy. At it that kind point. of reminds me of that time in Game of Thrones. Remember when Jon Snow is in King's Landing, yes. going towards the Red Keep, and he was trying to stop it because some of the King's Guard dropped their weapons. Yeah. But then they still charged them, and they had no way to protect themselves, so they all got right. murdered yeah. right then and there. Kind of reminds me of that. But they captured them. They didn't kill them. That's good. So what's the point here? Well, this has been discussed for a really long time, and historians have determined that if Chamberlain did not charge that day, the rebels would have won at Gettysburg. Right. And if the rebels won, the South would have won. Yes. And it's heavily assumed that if the South had won the war, then today we would exist either as two countries, the Union and the Confederacy. Right. Or we would live on a territorially fragmented continent like Europe and be divided into as many as 13 countries. Wow. And this has further repercussions throughout history. If the United States was not the United States, we would not have been able to fight and help overthrow Hitler or stop Hirohito from invading the islands of the South Pacific. So this one decision. One school teacher is responsible for the United States ability to exist today and so much more. I always heard that Gettysburg is like the biggest battle in the Civil War, but it's been a long time since history. Right. So now you've brought me back and I remember. Yeah. I don't remember this school teacher. I don't remember this scenario. And I was telling you off off camera (laughs) (laughs) when we weren't recording. So I visited Gettysburg and I knew it was really important in the war. And of course, because we were talking off mic, I looked it up and it was like 46,000 to 51,000 men died there that day. And I was telling you when I visited, it just had this air of sadness. Yeah, heavy. And now I see why. I can't remember. I don't remember this story. I'm sure it's monumented there. Is that a word? Monumented? (laughs) (laughs) It is. I'm from Texas. I make up words. We were talking about her (laughs) Texas words earlier, too. (laughs) It made me laugh. But yeah, that's incredible. Like when you think about the repercussions from that one decision, that one person Mm -hmm. and how it would have affected like Hitler could have taken over the world if we had not been there. If we hadn't been able to form in the way that we did. Yeah, because if we were separate countries, then it would have been one country to be taken over. Right. Then another country, then another country. We see this happening everywhere. Right. Where it's a bunch of little countries. So, but since we brought up Hitler, let's talk about him more. Yes. (laughs) Let's skip forward a bit. What started the chain of events or reactions that led to the First World War? Yeah. And as a result, World War II. Right. You can say that the first world war was bound to happen regardless. There was a long buildup of political tension. So a lot of other little butterfly effect moments that compounded. Right. But one thing triggered it happening when it did or sped it up. Okay. And timing's everything. Mm -hmm. If something was going to happen regardless, but it happened at a different time, let's just say even a year later, the results could have been drastically different. Right. Maybe even a certain evil person wouldn't have had the same opportunities to have such an influence in a year's time. Difference. Just saying. Anyway, that trigger was a woman, and her name is Sophie Chodek. Okay. Sophie was a duchess, Duchess of Hohenberg. She was beautiful and caught the eye of one Archduke Franz Ferdinand of Austria. Yep. He was madly in love with her. He married her. She wasn't royalty, though. And at the time, that was very looked down upon. Uh Uh-oh. He was the future monarch of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. 
Now, I'm not telling this story because it's sweet. No, none of our stories are sweet. <laughs> Dude was an autocrat. So, okay. but because he's not a good guy, not a good guy. He required complete obedience. Mm, I bet he was a joy to date. She liked him. <laughs> <laughs> but because he married her, their future children wouldn't be able to inherit anything from either of them upon their deaths. Oh, that's a Silly problem. class rules yes. at the time. But he also wasn't allowed to have her with him at official royal ceremonies. That's just dumb. It pissed him off. Mm -hmm. The only time she could be at his side in public, really, was while he was acting as inspector general of the Austro-Hungarian military. Okay. So he came up with this stupid idea to inspect the army in Bosnia. There really wasn't any reason to do it other than to have the opportunity for his wife to drive with him in public. Okay. They drove around in an open top car so that everyone could see them. Mm -hmm. That same day, a man by the name of Gavrilo Princip was happy to hear of Archduke's arrival. He was a Serbian nationalist and planned to assassinate him. Mm -hmm. He tried once before that day and failed, but here enters two other butterfly effect moments. Princip was sitting outside of a cafe or shop eating a sandwich and the driver of Archduke and his wife made the wrong turn, oh. subsequently ending up in front of that same shop. Okay. Princip walked straight up to the car and shot them both dead. Damn. Now there is some argument about this whole sandwich ordeal. <laughs> <laughs> some say that Princip's first attempt was right before he succeeded in killing them and that the driver was actually trying to get away from him but ended up giving him the perfect like line of shot to okay. kill them. But either way, just this little trip to have a joyride ended in their deaths. And started the war. Yes. Because of the assassination, one thing led to another. Austria wanted an apology from Serbia. Mm-hmm. But Serbia didn't order this assassination. It was just some random dude that wanted to kill him? Yep. They felt they had no part in it. So they said, no apology for you. Okay. So Austria declared war on Serbia. Oh, shit. Seems like a valid reason. As a result, Serbia's biggest ally, Russia, declared war on Austria. Mm -hmm. Then Austria's ally, Germany, declared war on <laughs> Russia. Then Russia's allies, Great Britain and France, declared war on Germany. See where this is going? <laughs> they were all just like eager to jump in. And it's like a schoolyard well, bully tangle. I'm just like, what's it? Like a schoolyard fight where right. they're like, oh, but he's my friend. So now I'm on his side and... Well, actually, all of these declarations happened because of treaties to come to each other's aid. Okay. So they kind of had to. Mm. It was a domino effect. And boom, World War. Because he wanted his wife to sit with him in an open top car. Damn. Like if they had just gone somewhere else or hadn't gone out at all. But he had to be acting as this inspector general for the military right. or whatever. I mean, if And then they he, took the wrong turn. And that's why that other guy even had the opportunity to assassinate right. him. Yep. Everything was in line. It was supposed to happen, I guess. Just I kidding. guess. This is the argument between the butterfly effect and destiny, though. Right. Like which fate. is which. Mm -hmm. But from there, the German economy collapsed, which brought about Hitler. Mm -hmm. But wait, Hitler might not have become the Hitler we know today if he wasn't rejected by the Academy of Fine Arts in Vienna. Not once, but twice. Was he going to be a ballet dancer? <laughs> He moved there as an aspiring artist with the dream of studying art. Okay. While he was there, his mother died and he was left stranded. Mm. He became anti-Semitic living there in poverty. Okay. And with nothing else to do, he joined the German army and you know the rest. But it explains his obsession with fine arts. 
and collecting yes. everything that he wanted to collect during his raids. It also explains why when he first started going after people, he also went after all of the artists and entertainers mm. because he was jealous. Yes. Because a lot of them got put into concentration camps as well. Kind of. He tried and they said no. Because they didn't want him to be part of their group. And then he was like, that's fine. Fuck you. Watch me right. <laughs> conquer the world. That's usually not what happens with artists. I mean, obviously he had some kind of major dysfunction. He had something <laughs> going on. With. This actually reminds me, not specifically, but of this other butterfly effect story that I listened to. It was a fiction story, but it got my wheels turning because, okay, so it's about this student who liked to play around on the dark web. Okay. One day they got this weird message and realized that somehow, some way they were communicating with their dead grandfather. Okay. The grandfather was asking for help and this was during Hitler's reign. I can't remember where he was. The student did some research on their family and came up with a plan to try and help their grandfather. And I'm saying they because I can't remember if it was a girl or a boy. Mm -hmm. The student then instructed their grandfather to contact his brother because his brother was on Hitler's side. But he knew that his brother wanted Hitler dead. That he actually did think that they were going too far and what was going on was wrong. So that happened and Hitler was killed. And when the student woke up the next day, they woke up in pure Nazi hell in the future. Okay. Because we always joke about if you had a time machine, people would say, go kill Hitler. A lot of people say, kill him as a baby, you know. Right. It's always brought up. But the baby thing doesn't really fit into what I'm saying. But what this story ends with is that it's kind of like this warning about not changing things because by killing Hitler, it made things worse because there was someone even more fucked up. That came to power. That came to power Mm -hmm. that was like his staff before that. Right. And he was even worse than Hitler. And it was enough to take over the world he won and that's the future. Yeah. That's why time travel can't happen because it would fuck up so many things. I don't know. I've watched Back to the Future. He started disappearing. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I saw this one TikTok recently of someone videotaping this guy like eating at a fast food place Mm -hmm. and his hat said something about I don't know what sports I don't follow sports teams but it was a sports team and they had won but it said something like 2026 oh and the hat looked really old like it had been used for like 10 years and it's just this old guy like sitting there eating something and this person's like uh uh could be we're not there yet and that hat looks like it's 20 years old and it's the only hat he owns Hmm. maybe it was a mistake in the factory and he oh, thought it was funny and he's been wearing it for probably, the last 10 years. Probably. Hopefully, yeah, it was supposed to be 2006 or something. Hopefully, there's some time travelers that will come back to save us because we're like heading downhill real quick in the world right now. So we need some of them to come back and like write whatever we're going to do wrong. Kind of like Terminator, right? Right. Isn't that the whole storyline behind that? They come back to try and stop the rise of the machines. I think that could come true because we have AI, but... Or this is just our cycle and then... The next group of exactly beings exist. We'll start all over again. I mean, something happened to all the ancient civilizations. I'm just like shrugging my shoulders at her. I'm like, there's so much we don't fucking know. That's what I said <laughs> at the beginning of this. I'm like, we wake up. I wake up every day and realize there's so much I don't know about. Sh- I don't know shit about shit. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, we don't know shit about shit. Mm-hmm. About shit. Yep. But there's another point in history that allowed the weasel Hitler to slip through and rise. I didn't know this one either. 
Okay. This is disputed as a piece of history, but if it's true, it's just another butterfly effect example. And honestly, if this is true and things went differently, we wouldn't have to theorize about going back and killing him as a baby or an adult or any of that. Because he would have died. Yeah. On September 28, 1918, Private Henry James Tandy with the British Army's 5th Duke of Wellington's regiment was in a battle with the Germans in the French village of Marquing. Tandy was known to commonly spare the injured and opt to disarm enemy soldiers instead of killing them. Well, that was kind. If he had the choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One particular German soldier wandered into his line of fire that day. It was an injured Hitler. Hitler. (laughs) Not knowing who he was, Tandy lowered his weapon and let him continue on. Hitler gave him a grateful nod before running off. A painting was later made by Fortunino Mattania of Tandy carrying a wounded man. And this image got around. Photocopies were made of this painting and somehow one ended up with one of Hitler's staff. Dr. Otto Schwind. Okay. Hitler also saw a photo of Tandy in the newspaper and remembered him. The reason I'm saying that is some people argue that Hitler was actually in Germany at the time and this did not happen, but Hitler himself confirmed this encounter on multiple occasions and had a large copy of the painting displayed in his office. Crazy. When asked about it, he'd say, that man came so near to killing me that I thought I should never see Germany again. Wow. So a kind soldier is also part of the reason that Hitler came to power as well. Hmm. Why do you have to go be a dick? Yeah. I mean, why couldn't he have been like, wow, this amazing, yeah, something like that. And go do good. (laughs) I mean, to be fair, playing devil's advocate, Hitler thought he was doing good things. That's the truth. He was delusional enough to think he was making a better world with what he was doing. But who is above Hitler? I feel like there had to have been someone. Think about the guy in Israel right now. Who's above him? There has to be someone. They can't just let one man run rampant when the entire world is against one person now. There has to be something else going on that we're missing. Well, I mean, they all sit in a room and talk about it. And they're like, oh, we could kill Hitler, but then there would be these consequences. That's like the whole war games, right? So right now there's people sitting in a room going, we could take Netanyahu out in Israel, but then this other person would retaliate or like, we don't know what. And and I'm sure there were things like that. Like you mentioned the guy who woke up in Nazi Germany. Who knows at that time there could have been conversations and Mm -hmm. they're like, Hitler's actually the lesser of the evils if there was some other person. Yeah. We don't know because we weren't there to know the full picture of what was going on in the time. But what scares me is there's one person on this planet who is more powerful than every single person or country on this planet. And we don't know who they are. Yeah, I don't know. That every country, every person is scared of this person. The Nephilim leader. No, the Nephilim are almost like soldiers for some of these countries. I don't think that we're scared of them. I think they're used. It's the devil. It's the devil. Satan. (sighs) I don't know who runs the world, but I will say that they're kind of doing a shitty job right now. Maybe they're too old and decrepit. They're like, well, I don't have time to hand this off to anybody else. Let the cards fall where they may. (laughs) Or maybe they like chaos and they're like, let's see what happens. Let's see what these peons do to each other. Mm -hmm. Moral of the story is kindness ends in world destruction. (laughs) (laughs) It means don't let that person off. Kill them. (laughs) They could be the next Hitler. (laughs) Enough about Hitler, though. I really didn't mean to talk about him at all. Just ended up that way. I think he's going to come up anytime you talk about cause yeah. and effect. I honestly mm-hmm. do. I think he just always comes up. He's like the big villain. Right. Of generations. 
yeah, generations after generations. And I just kept finding more examples that kind of fit into it. So, yep. And you can say this about every bad thing that has ever happened and every good thing, all these interesting pieces all in place to make things what they are today, good and bad. I heard something somewhere, something along the lines of, there's countless ways it could have been different, but there's only one way it could have happened. Okay. Something like that. Mm -hmm. I think it's powerful. It sticks with you, but it brings you to the butterfly effect. It's saying that just the slightest change affects everything, Mm -hmm. but there's only one way that something can happen. Yeah. It's powerful if you think about it. It is. I'm like sitting here just pondering that right now. Mm So even though people can argue, well, just because it didn't happen right then and there, it was going to happen. So all of this would have happened. No, no, it wouldn't have. No. But it does go into that whole fate thing. Is it destined to happen? Did it have to happen so that other things could happen later? I think I've been all over the place with, do I believe in destiny? Do I believe we can affect things? Do I believe that there's someone on the other side that's guiding us? Yeah. And like there is a trajectory, but there's still some free will in there that, you know, yeah. you can change things. I don't really know. Who yeah. knows? I think I'm led to, yeah, it's about our decisions. Mm -hmm. It's our free will. We change things. I think so. But there's only one way that something can happen and everything leads to that. That doesn't mean it's destiny, but every decision made in your entire life leads to that. Yes. Where you are today is because of all those decisions you made before today. Exactly. So let's cover a few more before I'm going to give some personal examples. And on the spot, I'm going to make Kendra give one. Okay. Another historical example, not Hitler, is the discovery of penicillin. I think most people know this about history, but it is another good example. In 1928, Sir Alexander Fleming, a Scottish physician and microbiologist, was studying bacteria grown under natural conditions specifically Staphylococcus aureus. Mm -hmm. In August of 1928, he went on holiday with his family. And when he returned September 3rd, he noticed that one of the cultures that he had left out was contaminated with a fungus. Okay. He could have just thrown it out. Right. But he looked closer and he noticed that the Staphylococci surrounding the fungus was destroyed. Mm-hmm. So he tested the fungus and it was from the genus Penicillium, which gives us penicillin, an important life-saving discovery. Yes, huge. However... And this came from me just watching something yesterday. So okay, I was actually done with my episode and I'm like, two seconds to myself. Something to do. (laughs) What do you do with yourself? Apparently stupid stuff. (laughs) Always. Fast forward nearly 100 years later to right now. Okay. And antibiotics might not do shit for us in the near future. True. I watched a show on Netflix. I don't know if I was just a glutton for punishment or something, but it was <laughs> the show You Are What You Eat, a twin experiment. Have you seen that? I saw it advertised. It's funny. I added that to my list recently. Uh, I watched it. Okay. Uh, it messed me up. In a way, I knew all of this stuff. I was a vegetarian for many years. Now I know a lot about what was already in this series, but there was a lot that I didn't know as okay. I was watching this. And now oh, my brain is just stuck. Uh oh. Now I'm just stuck. I love watching stuff like that, <laughs> though, because it really, I'm the same way. I'm a glutton for punishment. I want to watch <laughs> deep, dark stuff that makes me think. So, you know, it's about what we eat. So now my choice to make certain changes could make it so that I'm in a position where my body can have that life saving drug. Okay. Because if you watch it, the point is, is all these antibiotics that are going into the animals that we eat is making us antibiotic resistant. Yes. Yep. And I already don't 
don't eat a lot of meat. But I can completely cut it out. Like there are entire couples of weeks where I could say I haven't had one bit of meat because it's not something I buy. It's not something something that I'll eat out. I I agree. Like if I have a plate full of food, meat is not the main focus for me. It's usually the sides. I eat meat, though, because they tell you as a woman aging, you need lots of protein and that's your best source. We already know that protein comes from beans and other things. So we can get that from a lot of other places. But there was a lot of interesting stuff in this. So I would say if you want to know what you're eating, it's going to scare me. If you're ready for the news, go watch it. It's interesting. Don't be stubborn. Go into it with an open mind. I'll be watching it tonight probably now. (laughs) I know. The last episode, it does give me some hope, but it requires a lot of different people coming together to make it happen. If you're not a vegetable eater or something like that, well, get to it because that might be your only option here in a little bit. Yeah. We can still eat cheese. No. Any animal products. So it's like full on vegan. Vegan's hard. I've never been excited about vegan cheese, but it's something that people are trying to perfect. So some of the stuff I saw in the episode, I was like, oh, Oh, if that comes out, cool. Because I'm a pizza person. I love pizza. Yes. And one of the biggest issues with vegan cheese is if you cook it, it sticks to the roof of your mouth. There's all these other issues with it. But this company came up with this kind of liquid cheese that if you, it sounds gross, but if you put it on your pizza and you stick it in the oven, it ends up acting exactly like the cheese that you would have normally cooked with. And it tastes really good. Nice. But it's not available to buy anywhere yet. It's like in its infancy. You have to start slow. Start somewhere. You can't just all of a sudden go, oh, I'm going to be a vegan now. (laughs) There's a really good vegan restaurant in Fort Collins, Colorado, and I had a Philly cheesesteak there that was absolutely amazing. Like you would never understand until you've tried it. And that's how a lot of this food is. If you didn't know and no one told you, you'd eat it just fine. Yep. I do like vegan burgers. And I think that started in New Mexico when I was a teenager. There's this place down there called Flying Star. And if you're from New Mexico, it's not, but they had a vegetarian burger made out of beans and it was the most delicious thing ever. So much so that every time I went, it sold out. I watched that documentary. I think it's called Fork Before Knife or something like that. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I'm talking about? And it was years ago, though, right? It was years ago. I remember that. I was convinced that I needed to be vegan for a lot of the same reasons, the health portion that it shows in there, and then also just the cruelty to animals. Oh, yeah. I love animals. Huge one, obviously. I think I only made it like a week because it is so hard in our society, in the United States especially, to find all of the things and cook it all and the cost of it yeah like being vegan is a very big time commitment so I hope that like you said they're developing things to make it more convenient and attainable for the everyday person well they have to at some point right because we can't keep consuming meat at the rate that our world is right now no and the health of the world just in general, not the people, the planet itself, it will require it because our meat consumption is destroying everything. It's out of control. Yeah. Anyway, mushrooms for the win. Um, so here's another example. The collapse of the Berlin Wall. Okay. Do you know this story? No. It's all a spokesman's doing. A spokesman for the Communist Party, Gunter Schabowski, he made a mistake on public television. Okay. He was rushed and tired that day. And when he arrived, he was handed a piece of paper to read. Okay. He didn't have time to review it. <laughs> he was supposed to be announcing that in three days they would start to allow travel outside of East Germany, but that it would require being approved for a special visa that would take some time to get. Okay. Well, he gets on TV and he reads the first line and it says, the government now authorizes travel freedom. Okay. To which the TV reporter asked him, Someone does this take 
effect. Mm -hmm. Unsure of the answer, really, or what he was saying at all, he says, or he mumbles, as far as I know, right away. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. This resulted in thousands of Germans going to the wall expecting to be able to leave. Oh, but they were refused passage. This made everyone very angry. And they tore that wall down. One guard actually decided to let a few through in hopes that it would calm people down. But you let one through and all one through and down came the Berlin Wall. That's amazing. He started a revolution. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't even know it. He's like, I'm just tired. He's like, I just can't read (laughs) this morning. Here's a quick one, too. And I thought it was funny. I'm not sure that I knew this, but it sounds like a valid reason. It really does. From a lot of historical shows that I've seen. The Mayflower showed up at Plymouth Rock because they ran out of beer on the ship. Okay. I didn't know that. I know that Plymouth Rock was not their original destination, but I didn't know why they ended up there. And I'm just still stuck in Game of Thrones because I watched it more recently. I'm like, that makes so much sense. Because even back then, they're just obsessed with their alcohol. And they're like, we need beer. Where's the first place? Remember the uncle? Like, that's all he cared about the entire... Which one? Tyrion? Tyrion. Yes. <laughs> that's all he cared about. He's like, he's like, do you one have of my wine? Favorite. Do you have wine? Yes. Do you have wine? He's you one of my wine? favorite characters on that show. He's such a good actor. And last, a more recent example is the Aero Peru Flight 603. Okay. What happened there? This was a scheduled passenger flight, a Boeing 757, from Miami to Santiago, Chile. Okay. It crashed October 2nd, 1996, killing the remaining staff and passengers on board. 70 total. Okay. After a stop in Lima, they took off at 12.42 a.m., so it's dark. Mm-hmm. Almost immediately, they discovered the flight instruments behaving erratically. Okay. They were receiving contradictory emergency messages from the plane's computer with just about everything. Okay. Airspeed, altitude, if they were going too fast, too slow, too high, too low. So they didn't know and they couldn't see anything. They declared an emergency and requested an immediate return to the airport. Okay. At the time, they actually didn't know what their altitude was because the computer was pushing out a number. They just didn't know that it was incorrect. Oh, God. They started to descend to the airport and experienced a stall and had rapid loss of altitude. And after that, there was no change in the altimeter. And that's when they knew, okay, it's not working. Mm -hmm. It was saying that they were at 9,700 feet and they were nowhere near that. They were lower than that? They were lower than that. Another plane from the airport was instructed to take off and guide the 757 back, but it was too late. Mm -hmm. The plane had experienced multiple other stalls and without warning, the left wing clipped the ocean and ripped off part of the wing. They desperately tried to gain altitude without any working reliable instruments, but the climb only lasted 20 seconds. With the wing damaged, the aircraft rolled and slammed into the water, killing everyone on board. Oh, my God. So how did this happen? First, it wasn't the pilot's fault, and it wasn't the controller's fault, the person on the other end trying to guide them back. Right. Because they were both receiving the same incorrect data from the plane. They did everything they could. But what caused all of the malfunctions? There you go. Maintenance guy. Well, it came down to small pieces of duct tape. Okay. Planes have static ports that are vital to flight instruments and provide all the basic information, airspeed, altitude, and so on. Well, after recovering the wreckage, it was discovered that tape had been placed over some of these static ports on the underside of the fuselage while someone was cleaning and polishing the plane. Oh, shit. The employee that was cleaning this part of the plane forgot to remove these small pieces of tape. That is horrible. Simple tape stopped these ports from working properly and 70 people lost their lives. Fuck. The simple mistake, forgetting to remove a couple pieces of tape. 
Like that's fucking scary. This kind of stuff scares me. You know, you said Boeing and I and I immediately thought of what just happened on Alaska Airlines. Right. Yeah. And the new Boeing Max plane that people are saying don't get on because they're cutting corners and all of this. Like mm. plane travel is so scary because you are putting your life completely in the hands of other people and could just be something like this. Oh, my God. I mean, I've never been scared to fly in a plane. You always hear the statistics about cars versus planes. Always. And, yeah. And airplanes are so much safer and I've always kind of got that but if something happens in an airplane you can't go to the hospital No, you're just done. You're dying. And if you're and in it's a car a long... crash, there's a possibility you might get picked up and someone can go save your life. I also feel like when you're in a car crash, it happens very fast and you don't even see it coming. A lot of times people who've been in really bad wrecks will right. say that versus an airplane, something catastrophic happens and then you're dropping usually for a while. Mm, and so screaming. there's like impending death coming and you're <sighs> like facing it and knowing that it's coming and you're not going to survive. I think that's why so many people are more afraid of like dying in a plane than perhaps a car. It's scary because you can create the most sophisticated technology in the world, but there's always going to be this element of human error. And you can't control that. And you can't control that. Chaos theory. (laughs) There's always the element of unpredictability. And I think even with AI, that doesn't matter either. They're going to turn into their own little human versions of fuckers and we'll have mistakes too. We already know that. They're not perfect. Or yes, they will do it on purpose even more. What are feelings? I should have this feeling. Oh, that results in 20 million people dying. Oh, well, that feeling was cool. Let's change that. (laughs) (laughs) Or they decide that they hate humankind and they want us to die. But that poor maintenance cleaning person. I know he did. I didn't look too much into it. He did get convicted, but it wasn't for long. It wasn't on purpose. But it's crazy that this massive can be brought down down because of tape. Yes. And why did they not see it? Aren't the, I guess it was too far underneath because the pilots do like a full inspection of the plane before they take off. So it's not all his fault because on other planes, it's like in big, huge red letters, like this is where this is. Like, don't leave anything over this. And this was a somewhat newer plane that didn't have the same markings. So it was Boeing's fault at the end of the day. Got it. No, (laughs) it was the company's, you know, because you can get a plane. plane. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. It didn't have the same warnings. He right. knew that he was supposed to take it off, but he forgot. Yeah. He was aware of it. That's why he covered it so he could clean the area, but he forgot. Yeah. Rough. But that's what's scary. You have to cover it while you're cleaning it. Then you have to remember to uncover it. So this is happening all the fucking time. I'm going to be freaked out on every plane now. I know. Thank you for this story. <laughs> every awesome. time I read about plane wrecks and the things that happen, it always like freaks me out. I don't know why. The Alaska Airlines one isn't as freaky because they didn't die and they were able to land. But thankfully, nobody was sitting in that seat because they would have been sucked out. Mm-hmm. But I remember when I think it was the Air France plane that went down where the plane basically took over and the pilots couldn't override. Oh. That scared me, too, because I'm yeah. like, you could have the most trained pilot in the world. Yeah. And doesn't matter. Happened. If the plane is not working, the computers are not working and you can't control it. And that's what that's happened it. here, too. Yeah. The pilot had no idea where they even were. They didn't know where they were in the sky. Yeah, that's what I'm saying to, to correct it they have no fucking clue and it was night it was daytime yes. maybe they would have had they would have been able to see where they yes. were going at least but it was night oh my god and, and they're the ocean, over the ocean yeah it looked like anything else this made me start thinking about some of small moments from some of the stories we've told okay or we've covered so far And when I think about the butterfly effect, for me personally, so much of it has to do with people, right? People you meet, people you interact with, people who leave your life, come into your life. Yeah, definitely. Or what different people like introduce you to. So I thought back to Sean Sellers. 
his crazy childhood. Yeah. And I think it's possible that the store clerk and his parents would still be alive if he didn't have that babysitter that gave him a book on the occult when he was already going through so much. Yes. (laughs) And especially if he didn't have that friend, Richard, because Richard was- him on. Exactly. Mm -hmm. If he didn't have that, he might have, sadly, I hate to say this, but he might have succeeded in suicide or he might have just been able to get through his teenage years and be like, whoa, that was a crazy time. And none of this would have happened. Yeah. It's all about the people we surround ourselves with, guys. It is. It's true. It's so important. Even though, I mean, some of these victims, you can't blame anything on any of their choices, like Junko. Just in the wrong place at the wrong, wrong time. Wrong place, wrong time. If those douchebags weren't prowling on the same street that she rode her bike home on, she'd yes. be here. Or if the cops actually walked inside the house and did their job right. when someone reported it. Exactly. That's mine. Like when I think about the Ariel Castro situation yeah. and how those girls were there for 11 years, the cops came by his house multiple times and didn't do their job. There were multiple times he could have been charged with something. Yes. And those girls would long, have been found. Long, ago. Before anything happened. It was just between yes. him and his ex-wife. Yep. But you could also say all three of those girls, the decisions they made led them into that house. You can. We don't want to go into I don't victim, want to victim blame. Exactly. But, victim blaming. But I, I think about Michelle and how she almost escaped that one time. Yes. And if she escaped and said what she had been through, could have saved, what was it, eight more years of torture for other people? That's the problem is when you go too far down I the know. path with this, it can get dangerous. Because it can get dangerous. Every single single story, every single life, you can think, but what if I did that? What if I did this? Mm-hmm. And that's where it comes back to, are some of these things just supposed to happen? I think because there's only one way something can happen, we come to that assumption. It was supposed to happen this way. It's how we like make ourselves feel better. Yeah. Or it goes into the whole multiverse yeah, idea where those decisions did happen and they caused this whole other dimension, whatever. Yeah. And another dimension, I might not have a daughter in another dimension I might be dead I don't know I have plenty of pivotal moments I can think of in my life it's like if I had not made that decision yeah so I'll have stories for that I think too about Yates if her mother-in-law had showed up what's her husband Rusty or whatever if his mom had shown up right earlier 10 minutes before yeah 20 minutes whatever it was I can't remember exactly here Mm-hmm. We could do this on every episode all day long. Like yep. you said, go back to the beginning of time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> How it all came to be. But using Junko again, like that's the road she rode her bike home on every They're, day. Every yeah. day. It wasn't necessarily a decision of hers to do that. Maybe the decision could go back to, well, maybe she had gotten a different job than she wouldn't have been riding home on that street every day. Correct. But we can't do that because these guys are just dicks. And they spent the entire summer after that or whatever it was hurting other girls in the same vicinity, finding more girls, doing this to more girls. But for whatever reason, she was their plaything. She was chosen for that. Right. So how else have we seen this portrayed? I always like to bring up movies you brought up Back to the Future. Because any movie that has this aspect of time travel touches on this. One of my favorite movies that I think displays this is Sliding Doors with Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh, yes. Yep. And it shows the two different Mm -hmm. lives based on that one decision or that one moment of either catching her boyfriend cheating or not catching him. Right. And I think that movie is amazing because of just that concept. I know. What's another one? Donnie Darko. Oh, my God. I love Donnie Darko. If he stayed in bed or didn't stay in bed. There's so many people's lives that were affected by him getting out of bed or not. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I need to rewatch it. And then what's another one? Um, About Time. Yes, About Time is another good one. It's kind of like the butterfly effect with Ashton Kutcher, like the way that they do that. But it's not as crazy. (laughs) 
Honestly, there are countless movies and shows and books. And they're always ones that I am drawn to. Yeah, because it's an interesting thing to think about. Mm -hmm. If we had done one thing different, where would we be? Exactly. Or if we can go back in time, what does one tiny little change decision change in the future? The time machines is the big one of going back in time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that has profound effects. Yes. It's crazy. Don't want to fuck with it. Don't fuck with it. And this brings me back to Annie Andrews and something that he says, he says that everything you do matters. Mm -hmm. Every move you make, every action you take matters, not just to you or your family or your business or your hometown. Everything you do matters to all of us forever. Right. And it makes you think about these decisions, these actions and the influence you have And the influence of every single person in history. Yes. And how every single person in history shaped how we are today. Shaped our society. My brain. Yes. Like if you really start to think about that and go back all the way in time, because we feel so small sometimes you know, in our day-to-day lives. Right. And the reality is, is we're very much a part of each other. We're all interconnected. In every way possible. Mm -hmm. So I hate when there's division. I don't, I I just, like, how can you not see that as your brother or your sister? Because it's the whole thing. We are more alike than we are different. Exactly. Gotta get back to that because we are in a state right now in the world where we're so divided. We are. But it's not just the people, it's the items we buy. It's the different things that we interact with. It's what we say. What we say can have cascading effects. If you see someone on the street, it's a stranger. And whether you smile at them or not, they could be going through it. They could be the next like Jeffrey Dahmer. And that smile exactly made them feel like somebody sees them for the first time or whatever. And it stops them from doing what they were going to do. You don't know. I know. And I think about that often when it comes to know our podcast yes i'm not saying that we say important things but (laughs) we say quite the opposite i'm kidding (laughs) we say some important stuff oh we do have this platform we have no idea who listens to us and what we're doing right how we're affecting what we do know is that we do have people in other countries who listen to us yes and these are places we've never been right some of them and if something we say has even the smallest impact in someone's life if they share it with someone else right or just the tiniest thing about them changes in their lives directly or indirectly it will change how they interact with others and this ripple effect continues yes it's just crazy because it really can be something so simple you never know yeah so we really all just need to try and be good people <laughs> yes have a positive influence on others I know my mindset has changed simply by listening to others because words are powerful. Agreed. Simple acts are powerful. With that, I'm going to give a personal story because I gave a lot of bad examples. Not bad examples, but tragic. Tragic (laughs) points in history. So you have a positive story for us? It's positive. I mean, a lot of bad shit happened to have that be a positive outcome. Yeah. But yeah, I'm going to focus on that. So my example is my daughter. Yeah. I've always said to anybody I've ever met, I can't regret anything. No. Before my daughter was here, period, because it gave me my daughter. Right. So, you know, she wasn't planned. I had no real plan of when a child would come into my life whatsoever, but she wouldn't exist today without several key things falling into place. And that included some really bad things happening, but I'm just going to give some facts and I'm going to leave out the bad bits. And I could take the chain of events leading up to her all the way back to my childhood if I wanted to. Right. (laughs) But I'm not going to. I'm going to start in college. I had always planned to go to college. You know, I was always a really good student. Right. I was partying at night, but I was always a really good student. (laughs) Yes. But when I moved from New Mexico to Colorado, I had to make it happen for myself. Mm -hmm. So I didn't get started right away. 
I would have been able to start college for free in New Mexico. Okay. You go to school there and you do well. Then you, you go for free. Go for free. That's awesome. But deciding to make this move to another state at 18 years old changed that. So I hit 20 and said, all right, I've had a good break. Time to get to it. Yeah. So fast forward a few years. Things have really changed for me. Personal things that I'm not ready to talk about on here. But I was living somewhere new and I was invited to this little get together. It was at my French tutor's house. Right. And I met someone there. It was just a few people. It was like so random because I was friends with her, but barely, really. Right. And this other person was friends with her, but even more barely, really. Right. (laughs) I don't know how to put that. But we hit it off. And so we became really good friends. And one night we didn't know what to do. And we were in part of the metro area that I had never been before. And they didn't really know the area either because they had just recently moved there. And we see this little hole in the wall bar and decided to pop in. Little did we know it would become where we played pool daily for the next three years. Okay. Because of my love for pool, I joined the leagues. And in that pool league, there was a man who would become my daughter's father. Right. Not right away. I didn't like him at first. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I didn't like him at all. (laughs) (laughs) But over time and the two of us being like really good players and some common interests, you know, here comes my daughter. Right. I'm not with him anymore, but here comes my daughter. And my daughter was a huge pivot in my life. Yes. Because it stopped the plans I had for myself. I was going to move to Missoula, Montana and get my master's in forensic anthropology and then go to the University of Tennessee and get my doctorate there. And it was just a huge change in direction right? from everything that I was working toward. Fast forward 10 years and trials left and right. I was in a pretty depressed state. I think I've talked about this a couple times. Sometimes we can't remember what we cut out. Right. But I'm leading up to something. So I was working about 80 hours a week. And I was successful, but I was miserable and I felt like I was dying. I wasn't happy. And then one day on Facebook, I see this video of my little sister, Lydia. Shout out to my sis. I think that's her second one. Yeah. (laughs) And my oldest sister, Candice. I don't know if I've ever shout out to you. Hi, Candice. Hi. And it was two of her girls, my nieces and my sister, were dancing in a video. I had heard about TikTok. Right. But I thought it was just like a silly dancing app. I really didn't know what it was, to be honest. I just mm-hmm. knew that people danced on it. And I never thought in a million years that I would download the app. But when I saw them dancing and realized that they were on the app, I didn't want to miss out. I already missed everybody so much. It was up in Colorado all by myself. Right. And I tracked down my niece. I found her account and I watched her do the cutest things. But then I realized, wow, like this app is so much more than I thought it was. And slowly I started to not feel so alone. And it was kind of like when I was in college, I realized again, wow, there's this huge world out there. Yes. And it wasn't just me dying, (laughs) working 80 hours a week in my house, like a true vampire that I was. Like I was, it just opened up my mind again. And I was like, wow, because it became my therapy. And before I knew it, I quit my 80 hour a week job. I had no plan. I had a kid to take care of. Like, what was I doing? I was stupid. But I pushed through it and I got a totally different type of job. But I was still on TikTok and I was exposed to so many different ways of thought and, you know, people all over the world and out of nowhere, boom, I had this spiritual awakening. Mm -hmm. Somewhere in the midst of all of that, I also started listening to podcasts, which equally changed my life. And I bring all this up because if none of that happened, I would not have met Kendra. Yep. And we would not be sitting here talking to you right now. Right. Here's another little side butterfly effect, I guess. I had the opportunity to send my daughter to one school or another. Both she had to test to get into. She got into both and I made a decision to send her to the other one. Had I not sent my daughter to that school and had they not been online for their kindergarten class because of COVID, my daughter has a unique name. 
And that's how she met her best friend, which is Elizabeth's daughter. Yep. And when Elizabeth's daughter came on to introduce herself, she called out my daughter and was like, that's my cat's name. Yep. You know, <laughs> it's a unique name. So right. it was really odd. But, you know, kids are simple. Instant friendship. Of course. But if I hadn't been in the place I was emotionally and in the midst of, I don't know, trying to better myself in whatever way that it was, I wouldn't have really connected in the way that I did with Elizabeth because I wouldn't have been open to it. Yeah. Which means I wouldn't have been invited that night that we all went out together for karaoke. For karaoke, yep. And if I had somehow been invited to that for whatever reason, I might not have connected with you because a lot of what we talked about was podcast, was podcast, spiritual stuff. It would have just been an awkward thing and you're just some chick I met. Right. So... But instead, we had an instant connection. Here's Luce Lab. And here we are. And I can go back even further because Elizabeth, I actually became friends with her because I was at my current job. We were looking to hire a new manager and it came down to two candidates and I was the final decision maker. Mm. And I chose Elizabeth because I just felt like something about her. I was like, I think she'll be really good for this team. And I took a lot of heat for it because we, our other options were to hire from within. And if you're Um, in a company, you know, that can be, and my team did not take to Elizabeth very well. And that was my decision to hire her. And so I, it was awkward (laughs) and me and her weren't instant friends. I was her boss for a few years. Mm. And then she started going through a divorce and we bonded that way because I had gone through a divorce. We probably would have never connected if it hadn't been I that. Know. And then me and Herbie went to Vegas together on a whim. We just, we had never really hung out that much. Yeah. <laughs> I had gone through a breakup at the time and she was going through a divorce and we're like, we're going to go to Las Vegas. And then <laughs> our friendship blossomed. And then mm-hmm. that, you know, spiraled into meeting Jessica that night at karaoke many years later. Yeah. So it's like everything you take, you can go back. And I have so many I ideas when I think about how I ended up where I am with my career, with the podcast, how I'm even in Colorado to begin with right right now exactly if I had not met and married the person who is the father of my children I would never have ended up in Colorado this was never top of my list and you might still be very religious yes I could have ended up in Texas marrying a religious man Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have the kids that I have today like there's so many things I was literally me and my boyfriend at the time were about to break up and I found out I was pregnant oh and we also had a decision there because we could have just gone our separate ways instead we ended up married yep and that led me to Colorado because the only reason we're in Colorado is because his best friend took a job out here in Fort Collins and said come visit us <laughs> we came and visited and a month later we moved here because we're like this place is amazing and we did that completely on a whim like all of these things coming together know. would not have happened if I hadn't made the decisions hadn't met the person that is not part of my life anymore I don't you know want to be in that relationship anymore but I'm yeah. grateful I had that relationship exactly because it led me to a better relationship now mm-hmm. what we don't and I've want. got my kids yeah and who knows what's going to come in the future who knows it helps me stay positive if that makes sense because I know that I've been through some dark dark things yeah. and it's built me up and put me where I am today yeah it is positive that's why I was saying like I'm going to focus on the good like I've been through a lot of stuff yeah over the last 10-15 years go back to literally when I was like I don't know 14 years old 13 right. 14 I can go back all the way I can go back to childhood to when I was three years old and my brothers like pushed me down the stairs or something and I hit my head on the wall maybe that fucked me up <laughs> you know what I have a scar right here where I hit my head that's why we're fucked up yeah this happened when I go. was two yeah mine was right cord. in the middle <laughs> right in the middle of my forehead mine is too I almost have the Harry Potter scar look at us we're cool that's why we're doing a podcast and why we're all messed up <laughs> so what's the moral of the story here 
I think we can use this to make more intentional decisions. Yes. It makes us more aware of our place in the world. Mm-hmm. One person does have the ability to shift everything. Yeah. Like ripples in a pond. You make impressions every day. You influence others every day. Make sure it's done with kindness in mind. Really, we are already the villain in someone's story or multiple people's story. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. I know I am. <laughs> I think we just need to intentionally make the effort to have positive interactions with people, even if you don't actually talk to them or maybe they're just watching you do something or hear you talking to someone else because that happens all the time too. Just be kind. Yes. Be aware that you're out there among other people and yeah, sometimes our resting bitch faces are taken the wrong way. <laughs> I right. Then they think you have a problem with them specifically. But you never know how it's going to affect somebody. And if it's powerful enough for one person, it affects their entire family line for generations to come. Yes. And how they teach their children things and and all that. I mean, it's crazy. I think we can all use the power of the butterfly effect as motivation to create the lives that we want. Yes. So I got really excited about this because lab reports. Yes. Send in your butterfly effects because I feel like a lot of butterfly effect stories are all about like someone meeting someone like the love of their life and what happened after that and these serendipitous moments. A lot of butterfly effects are bad things like this person ruined my life. Like I want to hear it all. And I listen to hours upon hours of these types of stories. Like I said in the beginning, I never got bored. They're so interesting. (laughs) So maybe we'll do a lab report that's butterfly effect stories dedicated to it. Yeah. yeah, Send them in. Send them in. I think we'll throw one in there every now and then because I think it's all really interesting. I agree. We'd love to hear them. Well, this was a really interesting episode. I had not thought about the butterfly effect in a long time. And now it's going to be all I think about for the next ever, probably. There's so many scary things going on in the world right now. You think about like the decisions that led to these horrible events that you brought up. And it's like, is there a decision being made right now that's going to lead to another horrible effect? I mean, we need a butterfly effect that's going to stop World War Three. Something needs to happen. I know because we're barreling that way. It feels like every day when I read the news, I'm like, really? This was the decision that these countries made? Like, who's making this decision? Think back to the first World War and it all started because of treaties with other countries and And feeling like they had to and all because a guy wanted to take a car ride with his wife (laughs) who was snubbed from society because she wasn't elite enough but she was still a duchess that's right what the fuck (laughs) (laughs) not good enough apparently no she was from the wrong side of the tracks (laughs) wrong duchess country well this was fun i hope you guys enjoyed listening we look forward to hearing from you if you do want to send in a lab report send it to lucidlabpodcast at gmail.com you can write a really weird one with like newspaper clippings to p.o box 251 east lake colorado 80614 i want to see that one (laughs) we are on all of the social media places you'll see us on instagram facebook youtube and tiktok and (laughs) We didn't mention the past couple times, but now we're on Pandora. That's funny. Our brain was going to the same exact spot. I know. So yes, we're on Pandora now. We have been getting a lot of comments through YouTube and we love them. So keep those coming, please. We were even talking before we started recording today about like what we could do with YouTube content Mm -hmm. in the future whenever we decide not to look like trolls and we'll take a video (laughs) in our studio someday. We are bears hibernating until (laughs) we decide not to be hibernating anymore. And And I think that's it. I think that's it too. But we love you all and thank you for listening. Thank you. And share where you can. And in the meantime, stay lucid. Bye. Adios.